Hello, and welcome to this edition of The Bird is the Word, PenLive's Philadelphia Eagles podcast. I am Daniel Gallen, a PenLive sports reporter, and I'm joined by Aaron Kaznitz, PenLive's Philadelphia Eagles beat writer. What's up, man? Seems like, uh, seems like a nice fall day outside. Yeah, fall is finally here. We went to some baseball last night. We did. Uh, some meaningless September baseball, but now it, now it's time to talk some football. It's not meaningless when Reese Hoskins is hitting his 17th home run in, in like two hours. True. That was worth the price of admission and the $1 hot dog yeah. right there. Obviously. Obviously. But yeah, on to some football. The Eagles have a, a what suddenly looks like a really big and, and interesting game against the Chiefs this week. Yeah, speaking of different varieties of cased meats, uh, you get to go to one of the barbecue uh, capitals of the world. I'm sure I'll try some. Um, yeah, what are we expecting? It's uh, Doug Peterson and Andy Reid. Uh, some people kind of call Doug Peterson and kind of like Andy Reid Jr. Right. Skinny uh, Andy. Skin- Ooh, skinny Andy's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, what, what are you kind of expecting? What's kind of been the, the conversation around those two? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's really interesting because there's so many dynamics of this. It's the year after the Eagles fired Andy Reid, after 14 years, he came back with the Chiefs. It was in Philadelphia. It was, you know, fresh wounds. Andy Reid had just gotten fired. So that game, I think, was very much the Andy Reid comes back game. That was big. Now it's been four years. Andy Reid's been in the playoffs three times with another team. It, It doesn't necessarily need to be... Andy Reid versus the Eagles, so I think the the storylines and, and the spotlight has shifted towards Doug Peterson a little bit. Can he, you know, outdo his his former mentor and his former coach? Um, Philly.com uh, reported this week. I haven't gone through myself, so I'm gonna cite Philly.com. Said so, uh, Andy Reid was eight and two against coaches who used to be assistants under him, which is really good. Uh, everyone knows Andy Reid has this great reputation for dominating. Uh, games when he has extra time to prepare. Well, the Chiefs played last Thursday, so he's had 10 days. Um, and he, he's just a smart guy. The Chiefs are a very good team. So I think the focus is on Doug Peterson. That's that's what this week is about. Can Doug Peterson grow up? Can he beat, you know, can can the Padawan beat the master or whatever? I'm, I'm, I'm not really a big uh, movie guy, but I'm sure there's a good, <laughs> I'm sure there's a good metaphor there. And if he can... That's a huge win for Doug Peterson's career. A, because the Eagles would top their road win total from last year in two weeks. And B, it's just a, it's got to be a big thing to beat the guy who you learned from. Yeah, this strikes me as kind of the first uh, Doug Peterson kind of chess match game. Yeah. I feel like because last year he was a rookie coach with a rookie quarterback that didn't have any wide receivers to throw to, that it was sort of like, you know, there were matchups, but it was more kind of about the guys that were on the field. It wasn't necessarily about what he was doing with those guys. I feel like this year, because they made all those moves in the offseason, they had such a, they had a pretty impressive start last weekend that now it's sort of like, all right, uh, it's clear that there's talent on the field now. There are real wide receivers. There are real running backs. It's a real quarterback. Uh, so now how can Doug Peterson kind of put that in the position uh, to win? So now I feel That's like a, it's, a lot of it is sort of like we can look a little bit more at what he's doing and there aren't kind of the excuses of like, well, Nelson Aguilar doesn't have a brain, like Doriel Green Beckham is starting at wide receiver. Those kind of, yeah, not necessarily excuses, but like things that right. you can explain are, are gone. And now it's sort of like, all right, like it's pretty even. It feels like these, it feels like these teams are pretty evenly matched. <laughs> so the coaching 
can be what makes the difference. Yeah, no doubt. You're right. Last year, the wide receiver core was a little bit like a Wizard of Oz cast. Like, no no brain for Doriel Green Beckham, and Nelson Aguilar needs courage, and, you know, all that stuff. Now, mm-hmm. no, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Last year, it was about getting Car- – it was all about – can you develop Carson Wentz week to week? We didn't care that much about the matchups because we cared. Can Carson Wentz take steps? Whatever. Now, got some good receivers, got a good quarterback. If he can, you know, out coaching. I know they're not necessarily going against each other because they're both offensive play callers. But if you can out coach the the guy on the other sideline who was your mentor, that's huge. A, I think for the confidence of Doug Peterson himself, and B for the confidence of the players around Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of last year, too, the Eagles started 3-0 and last year. They have the chance to start 2-0 and this year. Uh, last year, they start 3-0, and finished 7-9. and So things kind of, the bottom kind of fell out there. I think right. after the bye, was that the day, or is lost to the Lions, then the bye? Right, well, so it was the bye, what, they were 3-0, then they had the bye. Okay, yes. Yeah. And then they lost the Lions in a tight game, and then... They started their slide. So, yes. Yeah, it was all kind of downhill from yeah. there. Sorry, I had to regroup that in my mind for a second. <laughs> it all runs together. Yeah. Um, but how would a 2-0 and start this year maybe feel different than the 2-0 and start last year? Well, I think it'd be very different. Um, last year, they went 3-0. and And I think the game that made everybody be like, oh, man, the Eagles are really good is that they dominated the Steelers, um, which is, that's a huge win. They beat the, they beat the Steelers by 31 points. The Steelers were one game away from the Super Bowl last year. That, that's big. But when you look at their first two games, it was the Browns and the Bears, two of the three worst teams in the league, and it's not like they're particularly dominant. And even in that Steelers game, there's, you know, a couple, I wouldn't want to say fluke plays, but, you know, Darren Sproles gets past the defense when Wentz is scrambling, a 73-yard touchdown, and, you know, stuff like that's going on. You beat the Steelers. This year, if, if you beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium, that's probably the most impressive win of Doug Peterson's tenure. I mean, last year they beat uh, the teams they beat were two meaningless games: Bears, Browns. They beat the Steelers and they beat the the Falcons and the Vikings. Those are pretty good wins. But the mm-hmm. Chiefs on the road that would probably be the most impressive win. And if you do that and go two and zero, as opposed to beating some not so great teams, that's that looks good. But also, I, I just think it's a totally different scenario because you have Carson Wentz in your two, because you've revamped the the receiving core, because you're you have a defense that's been together for another year. It would definitely feel a little bit more like this is what they're expecting, like this is part of the plan, as opposed to last year where it was a little bit more flash in the pan. It was like, wow, that's that's impressive. That's really cool. Can they sustain it? This year, I think there'd be more confidence they can sustain it. Obviously, it's not a sure thing. Yeah, last year, you were kind of waiting for the clock to strike midnight right. on them when they were 3-0. and It was sort of like a little smoke and mirrors. You're right. sort of like, all right, like, let's see. Whereas like this year, I feel like if they went, if they beat the Chiefs on the road, you're kind of looking ahead now, and you're like, all right, like, what's the path to the playoffs now? What's the path to ten and six? That sort of thing. Right, and and that's not to paint us as experts. Last year, the Eagles started three and zero, and we were like, oh shoot, maybe they are real. But it was that oh shoot came first. This year, I don't think it would be. I think it would be that's impressive, that's unexpected, but you see the pieces. It's a little bit more of an easy explanation for why they're having success and why they could sustain it. That said, the way Brandon Graham put it was, we don't want to toot our own horn because they remembered last year going 3-0. And, and hopefully that experience will help them. You know, there's a lot of guys in the locker room who went 3-0 last year and then collapsed. Maybe that will, um, from an Eagles fan perspective, maybe that will help them. Mm-hmm. 
so one of the more, I don't know if discouraging is the right word for it, but one of the more interesting things that came out of the opener against at Washington was how the offensive line held up in front of Carson Wentz. Uh, they got after him. He was running for his life. He made plays while he was running for his life, but he was still in that right. situation. <laughs> and this week, uh, the Eagles are going to face a pretty solid Chiefs uh, front seven uh, that's highlighted by Justin Houston, who had two sacks in the Chiefs' big win uh, over New England last week and is a couple years removed from a 22-sack season. Yeah. So how a do you... Consistent pro bowl player. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you kind of see the Eagles trying to you know stack up against him? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because last week, Lane Johnson didn't do a terrible job against Ryan Kerrigan, but you had the, the left side of the line with Jason Peters bouncing in out with a groin injury, and you had Isaac Somalu struggling a little bit, and you had Ryan Kerrigan still getting his against Lane Johnson, and that made it really tough for Carson Wentz. As you mentioned, he was able to make plays, so it all, all was for not for the Redskins defensive line. Uh so this week, I'm really curious. I think if Peters is healthy and they feel comfortable with the left side of their offensive line, they can slide protection over towards Johnson and Justin Houston. We, I mean, Johnson, Justin Houston might might come at Peters. You never know how the Chiefs are going to mix and match and with their 3-4 defense, try and get after Carson Wentz. Um, so, so I don't think it's a thing where they need to go overboard. The Eagles running backs, just rewatching the game, seem really bad and... And protection this week. You need you need the you need those guys to make a little bit of a difference. And and the other point that I want to make about slowing Justin Houston is the Eagles really went away from the run last week. I was looking at the game log while I was rewatching the game, and I think it was um, third quarter. Legarrette Blunt had a run for no gain on first down, and the Eagles their next seven pass their next seven plays were passes on that drive. Ended up kicking a field goal, and then the next drive they came out and threw on the first two plays. So it's nine straight passes. When they had a lead in the second half on the road. <laughs> like, if the Eagles have a lead on Sunday in Arrowhead, which it's going to be tough to get one and to keep one with how good the Chiefs are, they're going to have to establish a ground game, and that could maybe put Justin Houston on his heels a little bit, and I think that would be a key. I feel like with a lot of this stuff, it's just going to come back to the run game. Yes. Because once has shown you know, the, there are wide receivers there, it's sort of like, okay, they're going to be able to, to do some things. Um, even if the run game isn't there. And we know from last year that Doug Peterson likes his screen passes. <laughs> so, you know, you can... People call that a substitute for uh, for the running game, which, okay, like, you can go ahead and say that if you want. And I'm kind of like, yeah, like, there is, are elements that are similar, but at the same time, as we saw on that kind of weird Nelson Aguilar play... Yeah. There's still some kind of risk involved in that. There is danger, and that, I mean that's the thing. There's there's risk involved in that. You know, you have a fumble like that uh, when the Eagles fumbled, but also there's risk in if if the whole point is to slow down the pass rush. Carson Wentz does a three step drop and throws a short pass. Okay, Justin Houston can't get to him, but he can still you know dig his feet into the ground and go. Yeah. If you have the run game, you can't do that. I think that's where one of the difference shows up to me. Yeah, Legarrette Blount is going to be. This is a little bit adjacent to you know the offensive line holding up but you know LeGarrette Blount and Wendell Smallwood are you know they're gonna have to do more than right. you know three and change yards of carry uh to kind of help the Eagles offense move and kind of offset Houston right. and those pass rushers. There's, there's lots of elements that the offensive line needs to to run block well the the running backs I don't think hit the hole quite hard enough in week one and the play callers have to give them the chance to do all that. <laughs> 
there's going to be some fun pass rushers in this game with Houston. And then on the other side, Brandon Graham had a monster first game uh, highlighted by his strip sack of uh, Kirk Cousins to seal the game uh, at the very end. Uh, you know, what do you kind of expect that he'll see, and what does that mean for some of the other guys on the defensive line? Yeah, so that's definitely something I wanted to point out. Um, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham were, I, I mean, they were the two most important players aside from Carson Wentz in that win over the Redskins, right? I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think you could find guys who are more productive and had a bigger impact on the game. Uh, you know, they each had a forced, fax, forced sack fumble or forced fumble on a sack, excuse me. Um, the East had that, so they forced a couple turnovers. Fletcher Cox obviously picked up the one and scored a touchdown with it, and they both were constantly disrupting Cousins. Brandon Graham had two sacks. So to me, if I'm the Chiefs, I'm, I'm shifting my help over there. I'm, you know, Kareem Hunt is going to have to block a little bit. He's going to have to get in there and chip Brandon Graham, and, and they're going to have to have two, three guys going at Fletcher Cox, which means there should be one-on-ones for... Tim Jernigan and Vinny Curry on the, on the right side of the defensive line. So I think those are the key matchups. I think Jernigan really leveled Kirk Cousins on his one sack, and, and that's a huge play that he made um, in week one. So now it's Vinny Curry's turn, and he's going to be going up against a pretty good left tackle in Eric Fisher, but a guy who's had his struggles, and I think he's going to get one, a lot of one-on-ones, whether it's Vinny Curry, whether they rotate Derek Barnett, Chris Long, whoever. Whoever that guy is opposite of Brandon Graham is going to get one-on-ones against Eric Fisher, and if you take advantage of it, then all of a sudden Alex Smith is going to have trouble for the Kansas City Chiefs. This feels like it could be kind of a breakout game a little bit for Barnett um, mm-hmm. for him to finally kind of, as a rookie, get some chances, um, especially with how Graham and Cox looked week one, where it's sort of you can't ignore that if you're yeah. the Chiefs. So there's going to be uh, a little bit of shifting towards that side uh, of the Eagles' defensive line, I think, which you know, should open things up for Curry and Barnett and Tim Jernigan. Um, I saw a stat where Jim Schwartz blitzed a little bit more than than he usually does. And so, you know, guys like Jordan Hicks and if whoever else is uh, up in the box. He he really likes the nickel cornerback blitz where Mm -hmm. you have whoever's covering the slot. And if it's Jenkins, all of a sudden you have like a a pretty good hitter or if it's McLeod. Um, But even, even when it's... Patrick Robinson or whoever in the slot. He likes blitz in that slot. And that's the first interception. It was that blitz from the slot, Brandon Graham, or not, not interception, excuse me, forced, uh, forced fumble. They blitzed from the slot, Brandon Graham dropped in coverage, and Fletcher Cox ended up with a one on one sack, forced fumble. That sort of thing was big. And they also blitzed on the interception late in the game that Jalen Mills got. So I would expect them, I think they had, I think what I saw is they blitzed 13 times. And they forced two turnovers on those blitz. That's a really good percentage yeah. out of their team. So if you're Jim Schwartz, you don't want to become predictable, and he wants to stick to his guns of generating pressure with the front four. But you also have to balance that with the blitz worked. Let's see what we can do. So that's something that's going to be interesting. Um, but the Chiefs are hard to force turnover. Last year they they led the league in turnover margin, and Alex Smith hasn't thrown more than eight interceptions a year since he's been in Kansas City. Flipping things back around to the Eagles' offense. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey had a rather pedestrian debut with the Birds. Uh, they targeted him a bunch of times, tried to get it downfield to him. He had a couple chances for contested catches that he couldn't quite come down with. Uh, and now he's got a pretty tough uh, opponent this week in uh, Chiefs cornerback Marcus Peters, yeah. uh, who has 14 interceptions in his first two years in the league, uh, which is very impressive. Very, very impressive. 
Um, you know, what do you kind of see? How do you see that matchup shaking out, and how do you think the Eagles can take advantage of that? I think it's a really interesting matchup because the thing that Alshon Jeffrey is supposed to be good at is he goes up and gets jump balls, right? Um, that's what he's supposed to do well. That's what he did well in Chicago. He had two that I thought maybe he could have pulled down. Nobody else on the team could have, but maybe he could have pulled down against the Redskins and couldn't quite pull him down, um, which, I mean, you can knock him for it if you want, but also they would have been miraculous catches. So uh, whatever. That's what he does well. Flip side, Marcus Peters, you mentioned 14 interceptions in two years, like six and eight. Those are two really good years. So he's not the kind of guy who you would – and and. I'm not going to sit here and say I studied Marcus Peters' tape, but based on those stats, I would venture to guess he's not the kind of guy who you want to test with jump ball-type passes because he has so many interceptions. So what do you do if you're the Eagles? You don't want to have Alshon Jeffrey start his Eagles tenure with two, the way you called it, pedestrian games, um, but you also don't want to risk turning the ball over with, with Marcus Peters having the numbers that he has. That's why I think it's interesting, and I'm curious to see you know if Marcus Peters does spend most of the game on Alshon Jeffrey – Will the Eagles take those chances, or will they try and do what they did last game, which is work Ertz and, and work Aguilar and not necessarily force it to Alshon Jeffrey? It is nice that they have the luxury where they don't have to force it to Alshon mm-hmm. Jeffrey. Uh, you know, Torrey Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Zach Ertz, uh, even Sproles, uh, they, you know, they can put four other capable receivers on the field uh, with Jeffrey. Um, so it's sort of like, are they just going to let Peters just take away that half the field. It, it'll be interesting to watch. And it's not like Marcus. No, I don't think anybody is comparing Marcus Peterson or Marcus Peters to um, you know Darrell Revis in his heyday or Chan Bailey, who you're just not going to throw to at all. It, it's just you know that there's risks there. Um, and the Chiefs have injuries in their secondary. Um, not just Eric Berry. He's obviously the most notable, but another corner who started for them last year. But Eric Berry, four or five time Pro Bowler, um, is out with an Achilles injury. That's going to be big, and that's why I think Torrey Smith could play a huge role because if without Eric Berry, who's a, who's a leader in that secondary, if there's a little confusion there, maybe Torrey Smith can make some big plays downfield. Maybe that takes pressure off of Alshon Jeffrey, and as we saw last week, even just taking a shot down there can open things up for a guy like Ertz across the middle. And with the way that Doug Peterson has coached and Carson Wentz kind of played early on, I mean, they're going to take at least... They're going to take They're, they're going to take their shots. Right. It's just maybe... Maybe there's a better chance that they can convert him against the Chiefs because of Barry's injury, A. And B, it's more important to because the Chiefs last year didn't turn the ball over. Their offense just hung 42 points on the Patriots. How do you beat them? You need a big player. To, I, don't, I don't see how the Eagles beat them without a big player, too. So I think that could have a bigger impact on this week's game than, than maybe in the past. So you mentioned how the Eagles are going to need some big plays uh, from some of their stars to beat the Chiefs. Chiefs offense gets a lot of big <laughs> plays. Certainly did last week. Uh, Tyreek Hill was electric last week. Uh, they have Travis Kelsey. Alex Smith doesn't make mistakes. Kareem Hunt had probably one of the I think one of the best debuts ever for yeah, a rookie. Yeah, scrimmage it broke the record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how how do the how does the Eagles defense kind of take all of those things into account. <laughs> yeah, so I, we were talking about this before the show, but um, I interviewed Rodney McLeod, and I'll have a story that you can read on penlive.com. By the time this podcast posts, that story will be up. But um, 
Rodney McLeod, Malcolm Jenkins, Corey Graham, those those guys, the Eagles safeties, they could guard six foot six, six foot five, however tall. I think six foot six, so he's listed as six foot six, two hundred sixty pound Travis Kelsey, who's bigger than any player on the Eagles roster who's not a lineman on one play, and then on the next play, the very same Eagle safety could have to guard Tyreek Hill, who some people think is just, like, the fastest player in NFL history. So that's what the Chiefs offense does to you. They don't have your traditional outside number one wide receiver. What they do is they have two playmakers with very specific skills, Travis Kelsey's size, Tyreek Hill's speed, and that makes them very, very tough to defend. And if you're the Eagles... I mean, the guy who you have who has the speed is injured. Ronald Darby dislocated his ankle. Um, how do you contend with that? It's It's got to be confusion. They, they've got to win the chess match. We talked about it with, with Doug Peterson, but Jim Schwartz is going to have to win the chess match against Andy Reid because if Andy Reid wins the chess match and you're getting one-on-ones with Kelsey across the middle and one-on-ones with Hill down the field, Alex Smith is going to take advantage. The Eagles seem to be in a pretty good position to handle uh, Kelsey and Hill because those are guys that you know you, you move around the formation a lot. They can be in the slot, coming yeah. out of the backfield and everything, which kind of puts the pressure, I feel like, a little bit more on the safeties. No doubt. Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, which I think the Eagles have one of the better safety duos no uh, in the in the country, or not in the country, in the league. Right. Uh, how do you see each of those guys uh, with kind of the way they play and their physical stature? How do you feel like that they yeah. kind of match up? Yeah, they're similar guys. Um, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but Jim Schwartz is very big on cornerback uh, safeties with cornerback backgrounds. Malcolm Jenkins entered the league as a cornerback. Rodney McLeod played some corner in college. Uh, Corey Graham, who's probably going to have to play a lot this week because Jenkins would likely move down to cover slot receivers. Corey Graham comes in to cover safety. He has a cornerback background. Jalen Watkins, the fourth safety, he's entered the league as a cornerback. So what's interesting about the Eagles guys is they're not big, tough guys. The way Jim Schwartz uh, phrased it was when he was in Tennessee, he had a safety named Tank. Mm -hmm. That's who he wanted. Now he wants safeties named Swifty and, and Burner and stuff like that. Talked about that. Those are the kind of guys he has. And the way you would cover a guy like Kelsey is you would double-team him or you would let Jordan Hicks or Nigel Bradham defend him. Or what you do is, okay, let's split Kelsey out wide and you just have to say, Rodney McLeod, you're giving up seven inches on this dude, but you got to make a play. That's the kind of stuff they're going to do. So what it is is they have cover skills. That's the important thing. The Chiefs, I think, I think the best way for the Chiefs to take advantage would be with Kelsey and maybe the Eagles will have Malcolm Jenkins shadow Kelsey. Jim, Jim Schwartz likes to mix up his coverages in that sense, and his matchups, but he doesn't like to divulge any of his plans before the game. So we don't know, but the big thing to remember is all of the Eagles' safety guys will have to be in positions where they have tough coverage matchups, but they all have cornerback backgrounds. That's the Eagles' secondary is designed for this reason, and it's really going to get tested, and we're going to see if that design works on Sunday. What really strikes you about a guy like Tyreek Hill that you feel like that you haven't really seen or something that you don't see uh, elsewhere? Yeah, I, I mean, everyone likes to talk about the speed, but it's just the variety of plays he makes. You know, I'm, uh, the fact that he only had two carries against the Patriots, which is kind of interesting because there were games last year where they gave him the ball, carrying the ball a lot. But the fact that they'll motion him into the backfield and just give him a hand up, up the middle... You know, we don't necessarily see that with the other speedy receivers. You know, we don't we don't see Odell Beckham coming in the backfield doing that. So I think that's the challenge. Um, he's very fast. He's very quick. He's very shifty. He's not easy to bring down. 
and they'll use him on deep passes like a normal receiver, but they'll also use him on a swing pass. They'll use him on a handoff off the middle just to get five or six yards. So you, you can't ever take your eye off him, I guess, is, is the thing with, with Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he can return kicks, return punts, right, obviously, take carries too. out of the backfield, jet sweeps, uh, deep passes, pass across the middle screen passes. It's there's, I feel like there's not really guys that have that type of variety right, right it's, now. It's like Darren Sproles, plus you're sending them deep, you know, just on the outside. Like, it's it's like Darren Sproles with, combined a little bit with uh, Torrey Smith. Like, that's, if you're an Eagles fan, like, imagine those two players rolled into one. Don't want to make Tyreek Hill out to be this superstar, which I think he's still, you know, getting better mm-hmm. in the league. But he scored touchdowns of 60 or more yards in six straight games, which is an NFL record. He's really good, and he can really do a lot of different things. Yeah, it's like three rushing touchdowns, six receiving touchdowns, three return touchdowns last year. Jeez. It's, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good split. So he's he's really fun to watch, and I, I feel like that's just going to be when the Chiefs have the ball, that's just going to be a very entertaining thing no uh, to watch if you're covering the game, if you're watching as a fan, if you're watching as an impartial observer. Right. Uh, big, big player for Sunday, Donnie Jones. Got to kick the ball away from... Uh, Away from Tyreek Hill. Health-wise, going into Sunday, where are we? Ronald Darby's obviously out for a couple weeks. He had the knee scooter in the locker room. <laughs> uh, but then you got guys like Peters, Caleb Sturgis. What are we kind of looking at? Right, so Caleb Sturgis, uh, torn hip flexor is the injury. Caleb Sturgis will be out for at least a couple weeks. He's on injured reserve. The Eagles could bring him back, but signed Jake Elliott. So new kicker. You'll see a new kicker on the field. Um, the practice injury report, two players did not practice on Wednesday uh, who are on the 53-man roster. Ronald Darby, which we knew, and Destiny Vallejo, who uh, he had a wrist injury. So it was listed as, if he can't go, we might say Elijah Qualls make his debut. So, I mean, if they do make a extra tackle active and Vallejo does miss the game, that player is going to play 10 to 15 snaps at most. So not a huge concern, but something to keep your eye on. You can see a player make a debut. Um, the big news to me out of that is uh, Jason Peters did practice on Wednesday. He said that he would be good to go this week after the groin injury. But... When you're relying on a 35-year-old left tackle to stay healthy all year, you really designed your roster around making sure he stays healthy all year. And in the very first game, he, he can't get through the first half. To me, that's not a good sign, and the Eagles have to rethink how they configure the their active roster each week to maybe keep that in mind a little bit more, um, that Jason Peters might not be able to make it through games the way he used to. Uh, if... It- did he give kind of a percentage of where he's at, or is there any indication that he's not 100%? No, I mean, the way Jason Peters framed it in the locker room after the game, and, and I was just there for, for a quick minute to, to you know, uh, there was a scrum of reporters around him, and it was, it was pretty quick, you know, how are you feeling? He said, I'll, I'll be good, I just tweaked it. Um, seems like he expects to play, expects to be 100%, but that's the kind of guy he is. He's a very straightforward, you know, he's he's not going to do anything extra he he always says this is what it is he's, he's very black and white and for him he's going to play he's going to be healthy he's going to play that said the last uh, last year he stayed surprisingly healthy the year before that he definitely struggled with injuries and he is 35 so he said he was good going into week one two and ended up playing less than half of the game 
if he is struggling, do you think it'll be the same thing that we saw last week with Halapuli Vadi Vaitai? I almost got it. I think you got it. Halapuli Vadi Vaitai. Dang, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, with him coming in and playing left tackle, or could it be, or could the shifts be a little bit more extreme? Yeah. Uh, this week with like Lane Johnson moving or something. Right. So that's something when Jason Peters missed OTAs this year, they had Lane Johnson swing over to the left side. Um, but he also struggled a little bit there, and he, he moved over to the left side once in the preseason when Jason Peters missed a game for personal reasons, and he wasn't great on the left side. And it's one of those things where you have to, you know, if you plug in Big V on the left side and everyone else stays the same, you know, you only have one player making an adjustment, but if you plug in Big V and then you swing Lane Johnson, you got two players playing in new spots, and everyone else is adjusting to those new players in new spots, a little bit more confusion. So that's a tough decision. Um, my guess would be they stick with what they do, but it didn't work out very well last week, so maybe they change things. Um, the way they can show, like last year they had Alan Barber who could move, you know, from guard to tackle. They don't really have a, a guy who can move from guard to tackle this year. Samalo can do it. Stephen Wisniewski can do it, but I don't think either of them are, they don't have really experience at tackle. Samalo started the one game last year. So to me, you're kind of stuck. It's kind of, it has to be Big V, and I think they, if if Peters continues to battle injuries, I think they bode for keeping him on the left side so they can have stability elsewhere. Yeah, it seems like you know Big V might struggle a little bit at left tackle, but I feel like taking Peters out and putting Big V in is like a little bit less of a ripple effect than what you had last year when uh, I think like Johnson was at left tackle in one of the games, and then if Big V was at right tackle, there's a game where he left with an injury. And then, like, you know, the guard moves over to the right tackle, and then the new Correct. guard comes that in. Kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just, like, a couple more... It's more pieces that right. are moving. Last year, um, Johnson never had to play left. He did the year before. Okay. He played left tackle once. But last year, part of oh, it Johnson was, was out. He was out all year. All year. Yeah. So, they had one game where Samalu had to play... They, they played five different right tackles yeah. last year. <laughs> they, yeah. Right. And you'd like to avoid that as much as possible. Um, but I thought la- last week... When I rewatched the tape, I, I did notice that the Eagles were a little hesitant to run to the left side, and when they did, it didn't work out well because Samalu and Baitai were at that point their weaker links. Whereas you had a really strong right side. If you move Johnson over, maybe you say, okay, now we're a little bit more balanced. I guess that's an idea. But to me, I would prefer the stability of having Big V, Big v plugging that left side. But best case scenario, Jason Peters stays healthy and plays well enough to, to remain the team's left tackle all year. And just to, to wrap up, uh, just what's real quick, what's the cornerback, defensive back pecking order looking <laughs> like now with Darby out? Yeah, so uh, Jalen Mills is going to be the, the, the guy, the number one starting cornerback who's always going to be starting while Darby recovers, four to six weeks. Um, Patrick Robinson expects to play outside cornerback. After that's where it gets confusing. So those two would be the starters. Uh, Peterson indicated that he would activate Rasul Douglas. I don't think a full decision has been made on that, but that, that's what it seems like. Um, but, you know, do you you could start Douglas on the outside and move Patrick Robinson back to the inside. I don't think they're ready for I don't think they want to do that. Um, if they did, they would have activated Rasul Douglas last week. So I think the interesting piece here to me is Dexter McDougal. Um, obviously, they, they acquired him late in the preseason for a reason. If they think he's ready to play that nickel cornerback role where you cover the slot receiver, I think he comes in. I think they play Patrick Robinson outside, and he comes in against smaller receivers. So if if the 
um, Chiefs run three wide receivers out there. They'll have McDougal in there, which means you can keep McLeod and Jenkins at safety. But if they do something where they're spreading Travis Kelsey out wide or you have a bigger-bodied slot receiver, then Jenkins will come down and cover the slot and uh, Corey Graham will come into safety. So I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the outside corners will be Jalen Watkins and pa- Jalen Mills and Patrick Robinson. The slot is where there could be some difference. Does Dexter McDougal work in? How much does Malcolm Jenkins play? And will Jalen Watkins end up playing the slot at all? I think those are three questions to consider. Um as, as they look to replace Ronald Darby. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bird is the Word, Penn Lives Philadelphia Eagles podcast. I'm Daniel Gallen. You can find me on Twitter at DanielJTGallen or email me dgallen at penlive.com. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron Kaz Reports and akaznitz at penlive.com is the email. And check out all our stuff on, on penlive.com slash Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, you can subscribe to Penn Live Sports Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, uh, Penn Live Sports Podcasts, <laughs> and then uh, soundcloud.com slash penlive.com uh, has all the episodes you could ever want from us. Yep, and hopefully you do want them. Yeah, we'll be back on Tuesday morning with another episode. And that that time we'll review the uh, review the game, which will be fun. See ya. See ya.